Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody here this morning. I just uh, first will address the elephant in the room that the waiters uh, should not be trusted when doing baptisms. Uh, in case you're in a hurry and you know you're going to preach, um, just plan to change as quick as possible instead next time. Mental note. Uh, excited. <laughs> so glad to be here. My name is Pat. If we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, man, what an awesome, awesome thing it is to be here today. My name is Pat, and I'm just so thankful to be with you and uh, sharing the word with you this morning. Also getting to celebrate um, 23 baptisms. And I know that like we hear that so often, but man, can we just give it up? I feel like God is doing such a unique work in our midst that uh, 23 is starting to sound normal for us and I don't ever want it to feel normal. It's always just such an incredible and unique uh, thing for us to be able to celebrate that God is changing lives. He is working in hearts and, and, uh, and doing an incredible work. And man, what a blessing it was uh, today for me to be able to baptize my grandfather up there who's 98 years old. My, uh, yeah, it's incredible. Um, he was sprinkled as a baby. And so my brother joked that uh, he just gets baptized every hundred years or so. And uh, so I thought that was great. Uh, but God is really doing some incredible things in our midst. I just want to tell you about a couple of them before we start this morning. This uh, past week, we had an event that's kind of like a fall kickoff for us for student ministry. And I uh, actually had it in this room. And in this room, we had 405 teenagers that actually showed up for our fall kickoff, which is incredible. Four of those, four of those made a decision to follow Jesus, which is awesome. Uh, we can give it up for the Lord for that, too. Um, and then I also want to tell you about uh, Friday, we had an event here as well called For Our Generation that was for young adults. Uh, Will Bray is our campus pastor at Anderson. He's also our young adult minister, a pastor, and uh, he led a group of churches. Uh, it was about 10 churches and ministries and different play, uh, schools that were a part of it. I think we had 1,000 register, but this room was full of 18 to 20-somethings on Friday night, just praising the Lord. And, and guys, I'm telling you, yeah, we, we'll just keep praising the Lord together. Um, I'm telling you, it's just been incredible in our midst to see how God is working and doing an amazing thing. And so that's my prayer today for you as you turn to Genesis chapter three, that God would be working in your heart as well. We're gonna talk about a, a familiar passage uh, today that many of us uh, know and have, have heard for years. Um, but uh, before we do that, let me just tell you, like, I, I've gotten to where, you know, Sunday mornings you get an alert on what your screen time is. I don't, I don't know who at Apple doesn't go to church and decided to send these out uh, Sunday morning. And you can tell when you're preaching, when everybody gets it in that first service, like at the same time, uh, starts looking at their, their phone. Um, but I always love it when I see my percentage goes down a little bit. You ever feel just a little proud if you're like, oh yeah, 8% less than last week. I'm, I'm doing good. Um, but man, one of the things I love to do if I'm just sitting there scrolling, I started following this dash cam uh, reel where people post uh, videos of crashes from their dash cam. And I learned a lot of things from that. One, people are terrible drivers, first of all. This is an absolutely terrifying thing uh, to watch. Um, but second of all, it's, it's so addicting to just watch other crashes, isn't it? Like, isn't it crazy? And uh, it's just fun to kind of watch. You're like, golly, that car flipped. You know, you're like sending it to your friend. Um, and you know, I hope he's okay. Certainly they would only post this if he's okay, but man, look at that car. And I don't know if it came from like the America's Funniest Home Videos culture for me, because I grew up on that, right? And everybody would just get kicked and hurt and you laugh at them and uh, just you hope and pray that doesn't happen in real life, that your friend gets kicked and you're like, oh man, that's awesome. Uh, and, and then you're like, now I don't have a friend anymore, right? 
Um, anybody who has an HOA can tell you that there's some drama in the HOA. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, some of y'all are like, I feel you, man. And um, listen, you may be the person that loves drama in this room, and if that's you, bless you. But man, I, it drives me crazy, okay? Uh, people are posting videos like, your cat was crawling on my car. Like, man, I will never own a cat, you know, for many reasons. That's one of them. Uh, but there's a lot of drama. And, and let me just say, like, there is destruction and drama that we are drawn to, and we're drawn to watching and observing and participate, watching online or whatever. Um, but in reality, some of you have walked through this door and you feel like my life or, or my relationships in my life, the situation that I find myself in, there is a lot of destruction. And I'm, I'm worried about what's going to happen. I want to tell you, this is not a place where anybody's going to point their fingers and laugh at you. This is a place where people are going to come alongside you and love you and walk with you through that. So no matter what challenges you face, in particularly in regards to marriage, I want you to know that we love you and we are here for you. Um, more Christians tend to be married than not in the world. And um, honestly, the, the divorce rate is lower among committed Christian followers, but the average marriage for all of us feels stretched. And we feel pressures from family, we feel pressures from finances, we feel pressures from work, temptations, sinful behaviors and struggles, outside influences and other things that are, are stretching our marriages and we feel that tension. But truly good marriages take work. God didn't expect us to have perfect marriages. He expected us to be committed. And why I think this series is important for every single person in the room is, is really twofold. First of all, it's in the Bible. The Bible talks a lot about marriage. And I think it's important if we start to approach life like, well, hey, this doesn't apply to me, so it's not for me. And there's a lot of things we need to start ripping out in here if we start picking and choosing what we want to talk about. If the Bible talks about it, we're going to preach about it. That's how we do here at our church, okay? And so the Bible talks about marriage. We want to address marriage. But beyond that, most of us all have relationships in our lives with almost nine out of 10 uh, Christians being married. You're either married or going to be married at some point. So I don't care if you're a teenager in the room or not, we should be looking forward and thinking, how could God use a healthy marriage even with me? And let me just say this, our marriages are designed and meant to be representations of the gospel to the world around us. So as Christians, you and I, the way that we live, the way that we interact with our marriages, the way that we love our spouses are meant to reflect the gospel to the world around us, meant to reflect the love of God to the people that we encounter in our lives and in the world around us. Now, we're two imperfect people that are coming together, but it's something that we strive for. It's something that we work for. Um, Gary Thomas wrote a book called Sacred Marriage that uh, any premarital counseling I do, it's a requirement uh, to read. It's, it's such a fantastic book. He said, if there's one thing young engaged couples need to hear, it's that a good marriage is not something you find, it's something you work for. It takes struggle. You must crucify your selfishness. You must at times confront and at other times confess. The practice of forgiveness is essential. This is undeniably hard work, but eventually it pays off. Eventually it creates a relationship of beauty, trust, and mutual support. Nothing good comes easy. We've heard that. But man, marriage is something that takes work. And a good marriage takes work to be good. Now, I'm certainly not an expert, but this past August, my wife and I celebrated 20 years. And man, I'm so grateful for those 20 years that God has used to shape me and mold me and become more like Christ as I'm married to somebody who loves Jesus with their whole heart. 
And we live in this culture where people almost uh, expect there to be the one, right? This one perfect person that's just going to be, everything's going to fit, right? Everything's just going to naturally come into place. We don't even have to try. We don't have to work hard. We don't really have to put any sweat in, any work in. It's just going to be easy and it's going to fit together. And sometimes we'll call them the one, right? You ever heard like, she's not the one. Like, uh, he's not the one, bro. Like, don't, don't, don't do that. Like, we sometimes refer to or look for that one person as if there's only one person out there that's going to make it work. Matt Chandler said, quit looking for the one. You have a better chance of finding an Oompa Loompa riding a unicorn fighting Bigfoot. Like, for, for all of us, the reality is marriage takes work and there's not going to be some perfect one that just makes everything so easy. We're going to have to put in the effort. And so as Genesis chapter 3 comes along, I, I want it to kind of guide us today in the context of marriage and how God is guiding our hearts to love and be committed to the ones that he's called us to, or maybe even the relationships in our lives that God has called us to. This passage, super familiar as we talk about it because it's from the fall of man, essentially when sin entered the world. And so, of course, it's a, a great way for us to uh, begin this. But just to kind of give you an idea of where we're at, if Genesis 3 did not exist, then the Bible would not be the Bible as we know it. Because in Genesis 3 is when man and woman make this mistake to disobey God and it changes mankind forever. And we are ourselves even tarnished uh, by this sin nature because of what happens here in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the universe and everything in it. He creates the world and he creates man and he creates Eve as a helper for, for Adam. And he says, hey, listen, um, it is very good. And Adam and Eve walk around the garden dwelling with God. It's almost this picture in Old Testament language of the tabernacle, this, this picture of being in the presence of the Lord as you spend time with him. Uh, can you imagine like what that would be like to be in the garden and to be able to like walk around with God and talk with God? What an incredible thing. And that's where we find ourselves until the beginning of chapter three. I'm gonna read the first seven verses together. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts in the field that the Lord had made. And he said to woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. The story of the fall is challenging for us, and, and maybe for several reasons. One, it starts with a serpent walking up to Eve in the garden and speaking to her. Now, we know this clearly as our enemy, uh, Satan, who is uh, out to tempt us and destroy us. And if you think that there's not an enemy out to destroy your marriage or your relationships in your life, let me just tell you right now, you are absolutely wrong. There's a 100% enemy who seeks to tear apart what God has put together, who seeks to destroy what God has created. And so we see this immediately, this serpent walk up. Now, you may be thinking, like, I've seen this Disney movie, right? Like, I've seen this happen before when the animals start talking uh, to people. And um, from any uh, idea, some people may look at this and think, well, this is a fairy tale or this is a fiction. 
This is maybe some uh, clever idea to picture of, of what may could have happened or what might have happened. But let me tell you that throughout Scripture, as you look back at Genesis 3, there is not a single indication that anybody thinks that this is a fairy tale, that this actually literally happened. Now, I don't know why the woman didn't immediately, like, get surprised when a serpent started talking to her. That makes you wonder, is this normal? Like, the animals just walk up and be like, what's up? And you're like, hey, how are you doing? And why, why a serpent wouldn't uh, cause some alarm, I don't know. But this serpent walks up to this woman and starts talking to her. Now, Satan is described here as a serpent. In Revelation, he's described as a dragon. In 1 Peter, he's actually de- described as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let me, let me reiterate the fact that we have an enemy. And so trouble comes in marriage, first of all, when we stop listening to God. Trouble comes in marriage when we stop listening to God. We've got to be careful which voices we listen to in this world because we have an enemy who seeks to destroy us. Now, men tend to kind of use this passage and, and joke around and be like, man, it's a woman's fault, you know? Look at what she did. She ate this fruit, and then we, here we are, you know? found ourselves in this problem for all of eternity, right? But man, Adam was there right next to her the whole time. Like he, and he didn't hesitate. Like she handed him fruit, he ate it. Like he wasn't like, wait a minute, a serpent? Like maybe a dog. Like I listened to a dog, but certainly not a cat, not a serpent. You know, like there's a few animals on my list that I'm not even going to give any credibility to. And yet man is right there. He doesn't um, show any opposition. And throughout scripture, uh, he is actually assigned with the same culpability of sin that she is. So there's no difference between them as they both disobeyed God. There's no um, sense in which we see a woman being more responsible in this sense, except that they have both sinned and brought sin into the world. Now, we don't know what kind of fruit it was. I think sometimes we think it's an apple, but man, it would be obvious. If it was brownies, they were like, stay away from those brownies. I'd be like, yeah, I've heard that for for a long time, you know, like my doctor goes to this church. He knows that too, you know, um, but it's, a, but whatever fruit it was, we know that God said out of everything, out of all of the things that you can do, there's one thing I'm asking you not to do. One thing I'm telling you not to do is stay away from this one tree and don't eat it. Now, don't, don't we Listen to so many other voices in our lives where God has blessed us tremendously. He's given us so many wonderful gifts, so many incredible things, so, so much to be thankful for, but we can't help but look over our shoulder at the one thing. We hear other voices saying, hey man, I don't know if you have what you think you have. What about this over here? We've got to be careful of the voices we listen to because those voices will rob us of joy and ultimately become sin in our lives. Let me tell you this, sin in our personal lives becomes sin in our marriages. Sin in our personal lives becomes sin in our marriages because personal sin infects the relationships around us. You're like, well, this is my sin that I'm dealing with. Your sin affects you and those around you. And our relationships with others are only at their healthiest when we are at war with the sin in our own lives. We are listening to voices that we should not listen to. Now, I think it's easy to say here we can see that God created Adam first and Adam had a responsibility here to stand up. He had a responsibility to say, don't listen to this serpent. Let's not go down this road. And he didn't. And so I would say, husbands, we should be leading in such a way that we model repentance. We model forgiveness. We lead in spiritual conversations. We point our family to the Lord in times of stress and in times of trouble. Men, we have to step up. Some of us 
realize that the reason we're having issues in our marriages is because our relationship with God is not right itself. That our own personal walk with the Lord is not where it needs to be. Sometimes we get angry with God when we don't get our way, or sometimes we just simply disobey and we listen to self and temptations and we're not listening to the voice of God. John Piper said, the essence of sin is self-reliance and self-exaltation, first to God and then to others. Self-aggrandizing selfishness has put us in a place where we are no longer hearing from the voice of God. Instead of selflessly serving the world around us, we begin to selfishly think that, man, I don't need anybody else in my life. And we begin to follow this lie and believe a lie that we've all accepted, that we don't need God and we can live however we want to without any consequences. And that's just not true. Matt Chandler said, the reason we struggle in relationships and marriage and sex is because we are sinners. Therefore, the antidote for our sin must be the antidote for our struggles. We've got to listen to the voice of God. And if you said, hey, in this passage, we see that she is clearly disobeying what God said to do. Certainly later, God's going to actually say, you should have listened to me. You should have done what I asked you to do. And I would tell you that the rest of this book, every other part of this book is God saying, listen to my words. My words will bring you life. My words will bring you hope. My words will bring you joy. I want you to follow the plan that I have for you and not follow this sinful plan or this deceiving plan in your life, but listen to what I have for you. The rest of the Bible is, is God reminding us that his word is pure, that he loves us. And in fact, what we have done is created a separation between us because of sin. In fact, even the woman, as she is confronted and met with half-truths by the serpent, as he twisted God's words uh, to her, even the woman adds some things to it. When she saw the tree, uh, she said, God said not to even touch it in verse three. And yet God didn't say that in chapter two at all. She added to scripture herself by saying, God said not to even touch it. We ourselves have to listen to what God says, not out of convenience, but out of life. I know that you may feel like, well, this is, this is not how I feel. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know how I feel about looking to my own heart and my own sinful uh, issues. And let me just tell you, I, I don't really think it matters how we feel. Like God has called us in a commitment to live through what we've committed. I don't know what your vows sounded like, but mine sounded like this. To be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness or in health, to love and to cherish till death do we part according to God's holy word. Now in the past 20 years, we've experienced all of that except for the richer part and the death part. <laughs> but we've walked through all the rest of that together. And, and those are vows that we make with one another that have nothing to do with how I feel when I wake up tomorrow morning. It has everything to do with the decisions that I make in my life to say, God, I want to lay my life down and pick up the life that you've called me to by listening to your word. The second thing is that trouble starts in marriage when we turn on each other. In verse eight, it says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the, tree, the trees of the garden. But the Lord God said to man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? 
The man said, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, well, what is it that you have done? And she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. In this story, we see that God is actually walking in the garden as man and woman are hiding from him. Now, God knows exactly where we are. God knows exactly what's going on. You ever played hide and seek with like a toddler and you could see their feet like underneath the curtain and you can see the curtain shaking and you can hear them giggling and you're like, where are you? You know, you ever been there? This is exactly how God is. He walks in the garden. He knows what's going on with man and woman. He knows exactly what has happened. And yet he says, where are you guys? What has happened? And man says, man, I gotta admit, honestly, I was realized I was naked and I hid myself. Now, that happened because of shame and shame happened because of sin. Man realized all of a sudden because of sin, we are naked, we've gotta fix this problem. And so they sewed for themselves a temporary solution. Um, with fig leaves. They, they show, sowed a temporary solution that was not gonna last, but just to cover the moment, right? And, and as God is walking through, God says, well, who told you that you were naked? He is, as a loving father would, talking to his children, his creation, saying, man, who told you this? Now, we, anybody with kids has heard this before. Well, not me, it's because of her, right? Anybody ever heard that, right? Anybody with kids is like, Who's this not me person? Because there's somebody sneaking into my house and doing all kinds of things to my family, right? Y'all ever, nobody else, this doesn't realize, nobody else has this problem? Okay, only me in my house. Uh, there's somebody that sneaks in and does a whole bunch of things and my kids are never at fault, uh, ever, uh, for that sort of thing. And so this is exactly what happens with the man. The man is like, it wasn't me, it was this woman that you gave me, right? Like even almost, in some ways, pointing that back at the Lord. It's this woman you gave me, that, that really got me into this mess. God goes to her and says, what happened? She says, it's the serpent actually that deceived me and put me in this situation. Neither one of them willing to own up to their mistakes. Both of them turning on each other and pointing fingers. And we make excuses to justify our own disobedience daily. We say, man, if, if, if she only or if he only, then, then I would. And, and so we find ways in our relationship to even find divisions because we're pointing fingers. We're, we're blaming others. I, I have an old car. It's 50 years old this year. I got it from my wife's father, and uh, it's a fun car to drive. But I have, like, kind of learned to, to do a lot of mechanical things that I otherwise would not have known because it's constantly breaking down. Anybody kind of feel, feel me on that? Um, but the other day, it was about uh, three, four weeks ago on the way to church uh, for a midweek. My daughter and I were riding here, and uh, I heard a loud pop in the engine, and I lost my power steering, like all of a sudden. So I was like, okay, the power steering pump went out. Like that's, this is gonna be a problem and I don't know how to fix it. So now I have to go like YouTube, which praise the Lord for YouTube, right? And I gotta go learn how to replace a power steering pump for this one time in my life that I ever have to use this skill and then put it in the past. Um, And so I get to church and I'm Googling power steering pump and I'm, you know, I'm like, man, these are expensive and I'm trying to look how to put them on and and then I thought, well, I should have probably opened the hood and see, if, see what's going on, right? You know what I'm saying? And so I, I leave church, I go downstairs, because I gotta figure out how to go home. I open the hood and I realize, actually the belt is what broke off, not the power steering pump being bad at all, it's just the belt. And I was like, well, this is a way cheaper problem. I won't have to worry about this, I can just get a new belt. Uh, and then I realized that the alternator had actually snapped a bolt half off in the engine block and the other half like hanging off the alternator which is what caused the belt to break. Okay, so all that to say, it's a 
pain to get a half of a bolt out of an engine, in case you're wondering um, how to do that. Um, but man, I, I could have easily replaced the power steering pump and I would have been in the same boat that I was in. I could have easily just said, let me put some new belts on this thing and get it running and I would have been in the same problem that I was in because I had a wrong diagnosis. The right diagnosis is that sin is our issue, your sin, my sin. Our sin is causing problems and we make excuses and point the fingers when we have the wrong diagnosis that God is asking us to listen to his voice. Here's the, here's the second set of points. The first one is that hope in marriage comes when we take ownership of our failures. Hope in, in marriage comes when we take ownership in our failures. When Adam and Eve fell, when they died spiritually in this moment, we all died spiritually. We all realized in that moment, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because of their sin, we ourselves find ourselves in that sin. And we have to take ownership of our own failures. That means we have to be willing to realize that we are two imperfect people who are coming together to create a marriage to display the love of God to the world. So forgiveness has to be a large part of it. Forgiving, looking at somebody and saying, I forgive you and you are forgiven can be some of the hardest words you ever have to say. Or simply, I'm sorry. We have to realize that hope in marriage comes when we take ownership of our own failures. It's not easy. In fact, I'm a, I'm a Georgia fan, and some of y'all know that. And um, it's nice being on top for a little bit. Like some, some of the rest of y'all have experienced that. And um, Wayne used to experience that with Alabama. I'm glad he's not right now. Um, <laughs> But this year, truly, as a Bulldog, like, we have no excuse to be play, not be playing for the SEC championship. We probably have the easiest schedule. We actually have a schedule like Clemson usually has this year. Like, this is our <laughs> normal schedule. I've, like, made so many enemies over the past three services. Y'all have no idea. Um, we, we genuinely, though, have such an easy schedule. And I won't even tell you who we're playing this weekend um, because you'll even get more offended. But we have an easy, easy schedule. And so the reality is when you have an easy schedule, and so some of y'all who've, who've walked through this know that, um, people, when you're like, hey, we're winning, we're on top, they're like, yeah, but who are you playing? You know, you're playing Ball State, you're playing UT Martin, who, who cares about those guys, right? And you're like, I mean, but we're, we're doing great. It doesn't matter, right? And so let me tell you, if you're in a marriage and you're like, man, things are just hard, Things are just tough. Like, I'm having a really, really difficult time with this relationship. Let me say that that is oftentimes when God gets the most glory. That's the time when God actually gets the most love. That's when God almost gets the most attention because we ourselves have to realize we don't want an easy schedule. God brings us difficult things. He brings us obstacles and he brings us difficulties so that we have opportunities to display the glory of God to the world around us in the midst of those things. We find strength in our own weakness because he provides that strength, not us. So stop praying for things to be easy and start praying for us to be more surrendered. Gary Thomas also said, if you wanna be free to serve Jesus, there's no question, stay single. Marriage takes a lot of time, but if you wanna become more like Jesus, I can't imagine an even better thing to do than to get married. Being married forces you to face some character issues you'd never have to face 
otherwise. The subtitle of that book is that God, maybe God designed marriage to make us holy rather than to make us happy. And would we change our mindset to say, God, use this marriage to help me display your glory by showing me the errors in my own life and looking for holiness and satisfaction that are going to come with it. I want to pursue holiness rather than pursuing happiness. We're incapable of having a healthy marriage apart from the example and the power of what Christ has already done in and through us. The last thing, hope comes to marriage when we lean into grace. When we lean into grace. In verse 15, God begins to curse the serpent uh, for what he's done and he offers consequences as well to woman and man in addition to um, sin itself. And in verse 15, speaking to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you And the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In verse 21, we see that it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. What we see here, even in chapter 3, even at the beginning of our Bible, is a picture of what God was going to do by sending his son Jesus. He tells the serpent, he tells Satan, like, you're going to be able to bruise his heel, but let me tell you, he's taking you out. And then the temporary solution that Adam and Eve had come up with with these fig leaves that they had created, he says, that temporary solution, I've got a much better solution for you. And he kills some animals and uses their skin to be able to clothe Adam and Eve. And he says, let me do this for you. And let me just say this for a second, that on our own, we can try to come up with our own situation. We can kind of try to come up with our own answers that might look like they're okay, but they will never be good enough. You and I will never be good enough. And yet in our place, God says, let me send my son Jesus to die on a cross for you so that his blood can be shed, so that his life can be given, so that I can clothe you in righteousness. A man and woman who came in here today and and, and you're saying, man, I'm just not good enough or my marriage is not good enough or I'm just struggling personally. Let me tell you, God loves you. You're like, well, things are already broken in my past and you don't know where I've been or where I've walked. And I'm telling you, God can clothe you in his righteousness. Would you lean into his grace? Today can be the start for you. Today can be the day that your marriage changes for a lifetime because you decided today to get on your face before God and say, you know what, this has been about me until this point. I want it to be about God. I want to be able to display his glory to the world around us by embracing the forgiveness that he offers. I love that he gives us an opportunity to lean into grace because we avoid leaning into sin by being tied to God's truth. And this morning, God is, just as he was with Adam and Eve, walking through the garden, calling for Adam and Eve, where are you? He's here this morning, and he's calling out your name. He knows where you're at. He knows what struggles you're walking through. He knows what pain you're feeling. He knows the obstacles that you're facing in your marriage. There's there's nothing you can hide from him. He knows what challenges you're walking through in your life. He knows what fears you have. He knows what comparison you've done to every other person um, as you you scroll through their perfect happy family. And you didn't see what it took to get that picture. You just know that, man, I'm comparing my worst day to their best day. And in the midst of that, God sees that. He says, you may be broken and you may have sin, but I have a solution. And my prayer is that today you would fall on your face. My, my prayer today is that you would lay everything down at, at him, at his feet, and say, 
God, take this, take this marriage, take these relationships, take my life and use them so that the world can see your love and your glory in the way that I live. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the hope that you offer us and I thank you that this morning we have the privilege and the opportunity to surrender to that hope. So Father, I pray for the person in this room, regardless of where they are relationally, that God, you would speak to hearts and know that even in a message like this, we're reminded of the fact that every one of us is not good enough. Every one of us has fallen. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as you tell us in Romans 3.23. And yet in the midst of that, you have offered us an opportunity. You've offered us uh, being clothed by your righteousness when we ourselves are not good enough and cannot do it on our own. And so this morning, I pray for the person in this room that has never decided to follow you with their life, that today, Father, would be that day, that they would lay everything at your feet, that they would ask forgiveness, even the display of those who were, te- who were baptized this morning, the testimony of those who have shown that their life has been changed from darkness to light, that God, you would allow that to happen in somebody's heart right now in this moment. That you would give them courage to reach out after the service, talk to a friend, talk to one of us, that you would help us to to love them. And God, for the people who've walked through this building like myself, who I know are far from perfect, who bring all of our messiness with us, God, would you allow us to lead and live in such a way that we are finding our hope by leaning into your grace, finding our hope leaning into your truth, finding our hope listening to your voice, not pointing fingers, but Father, trusting you Even as we look at this story, would you remind us in our own marriages the importance of fighting for what you have brought together and not letting anybody insert division into it. So Father, I pray for the marriages in our church that God, I know there are those who came today who may be feeling like they're on their last leg. They, they They don't know what steps to take from this point on, Father. Will you unite those hearts around your gospel Will you help just restoration and love uh, come alongside this marriage in such a way that the world would see the truth and life as a result? God, would you allow us to no longer put ourselves in the way and, and exalt ourselves, but to lay ourselves down and say, Father, it's all at your feet. Use us, restore us, speak to us, give us hope and grace. When we, when we need it, but we don't deserve it. And this morning, Father, we lift you. And we lift you because you are the greatest that has ever been, that ever will be. We lift up your name because you deserve all of our praise. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.